goal of the enemy. The enemy Absolutely. could be Satan or it could be anybody. China or you know for all these us, it's the government right now. Right. If you look at it, right. that's true. But the government has this, you know an agenda or somebody's behind that. Oh, absolutely. Stream. But what they want to do is they want to distract you and they want to keep us divided. Keep us divided. They're they're literally doing and they're winning in their aspect of what they want to do with us because you got to think. Back when we were divided, look at the things that we've accomplished as a country. Like we can start from the beginning, right? The American Revolution. We defeated one of the most one of the most powerful nations at the time, the British. The most powerful. The right. most powerful nation, the, the British, navy. the best navy, best everything. And you got to think there were thirteen colonies, and not even everybody in the colonies fought back. Three percent, three percent of the American population of those colonies is who fought back, and we won our freedom. Right. So there's testament to what happens when you're, we're, we're united. And then you look at what the government, the government knows that the government knows if it keeps us divided, then we lack power. They have the power if they can keep us as a powerhouse divided. United, we stand divided, we fall. Right. That's right. been proven throughout history, throughout time. Look at the Roman Empire. When the Romans were united on a united front, they're taking over the world. They but what happens? Over, yeah, they took over of most the board, of the yeah. world. Right. But then you look at what happened with the politicians. They got divided. Everything started to get divided. So once the division came in, then you saw the fall of that empire. Right. And every empire since then has been the same. Every empire has fallen. As long as they stay united, they're okay. But once division's brought in, it takes away everything. And that's where we're at now. We're divided as a nation. And nothing's going to get better until we decide to unite. Do you think it's going to take something like a grand event to unite us? Probably. It's going to be something that we don't want. Because I see all the time all these... I want to call them tactical guys, right? People who've never ever served in the military who have three or four safes full of AR-15s and shotguns, and they go do John Wick training thinking that they're going to be efficient in war. And I'm looking at them like, you've never spent a single second in war. Mm -hmm. Like, you have no idea what that means or what the cost of that means. So you're wanting us to rise up and fight against the government. Let's just go to war. Like, you have to understand, people who have been to war, that's the last thing we want. Because right. we understand what happens with war. Right. War is a last-ditch last effort when everything else has failed. And we haven't even begun to begin what we should be doing. Correct, correct. And you were, a, you were a part of the military, right? Yeah, I was in the you Marine, Marine. Corps. Yeah. How long were you? Four years. Four years. 2006, 2010. 2000. Okay, and that's where you say, you, since you were out there, you know what it's like, right? Yeah, and I've us spent. back here are like, oh, let's just do it. It's so easy. We just get our guns and go. But... What what aspect of that is is what makes you, or or po who, people that have been in the military not want to go that far? It's the cost, right? Because when you like again, we'll go back to the beginning. The American Revolution, three percent fought back. Well, you, then you also have to remind yourself of how many were loyalists, because there were American colonists who were loyal to the British Correct. Empire. So during the American Revolution, if you think that all we were killing were the British, you're wrong. There were Americans killing Americans. Civil War, same thing. American killing Americans. You look at the Iraqi war. There are Iraqis killing Iraqis. Right? So Afghanistan, same way. Every war we've ever been to, there were people of the same nation, same community killing each other. So when we go to war, whether it's with the government or whoever, there's going to be Americans killing Americans. Like, that's going to be inevitable. Plus, you got to remember all the loss that's going to come from that. How many people are going to die? simply standing up for what they believe in, which I'm not opposed to that, but I do think there is steps that we should take first, especially with people who've never been to war. Like, you don't you don't understand it. It's not what you think. All you know is what you see on Hollywood. Right. And Hollywood glorifies war into something that it is not. So 
for most of us, most combat veterans who understand what war is, the last thing we want right now is war because there's so many other things that we can do. Getting into the polls is the first one, right? Voting, uniting on a front. We can vote all we want to, but if we're voting on a divisive front, they're going to get what they want. Government does what the government wants. We're looking at it now, right? We look at COVID, and everything that they did was pretty much unconstitutional, forcing private businesses to close telling us that we couldn't worship, closing churches, right? That's a Fourth Amendment, right? Like, we have the right to worship as we see fit. We have the right to worship and practice to our higher power, and the government can't step in. But what were you seeing? You were seeing churches closed down. You were seeing people being arrested. People were literally kicked out of parking lots because they were meeting in a church parking lot, putting praise and worship music on the radio, and worshiping together. Police came by and told them they couldn't do that. Yes, we can. Yeah. You can't tell a private organization or private business to shut down. We have a right to provide a wage for ourselves. And the government was doing it. And I know they were doing it to see how we responded. And right. we failed miserably. Right. Because right. if you look at how everybody failed, it was either we were, no, we want our rights, or no, the government said to. Right. So we were divided. They saw that. Mm-hmm. They saw how we responded. So now look at what's happening. Right, California just banned the sale of of gas powered vehicles starting in 2035. Sure, yep, I saw that. You're telling me that I don't have the right to have a vehicle with gas. Why do you think you have that right to, to take right. that away? Because they saw what happens when they do it. Right. No one. No one stood up. No, no one. No one stood up when Biden's. Uh, uh, you know, all those executive orders. Executive orders aren't laws. Mandates right. aren't laws. We don't have to abide by a mandate. There is a legal, logistical, legislative process to enact laws. They were doing it in Harris County, right? right? Judge Hidalgo was coming out with all these mandates saying, well, this is the law now. That's not how laws work. <laughs> no. There is a judicial process that you have to go through to make a law even begin to be implementable. And right. none of that happened. Right. But what did people do? They just blindly right. followed by, right? No, all the they science, supported they supported well. it. Right. All the all the science that disproved the effectiveness of masks, what was happening? All the six feet apart rule, what was happening? Divided the country. One at the beginning, they would say something and then it would completely change the next day. Right. And I don't think they did that because they weren't intelligent or because they weren't smart. They was like, the way I see it is all these high powered elites were going, I wonder what would happen if we did this. I don't know. Let's find out. So they would do it. Let's see how they respond. Because that was the training ground. That's showing them when we decide to implement things that actually matter. How is the American people going to respond? And so far, we failed. Correct. And then from there, now it's endless, right? On it's what endless. what they can do because they know right that now. nobody right. nobody got together. So you are part of the PTSD uh, Foundation of America, right? You're a combat veteran, right? So give us a quick basic on just the core of what you guys do there. So the PTSD Foundation of America, we're a nonprofit, Christ-centered organization that supports combat vets with PTSD. Uh, we have an inpatient residential facility in, in Jersey Village of Houston, Texas, six to eight month program. The combat veteran comes in from day one. Uh, we have a step by step process, peer to peer mentorship, licensed clinicians, right? The whole aspect of mental health. We approach and take them step by step through their issues, help them work through it, help them get a better center on their on their mentality and their and their issues and their triggers and you know wounds of war as we call them, and then we help them transition back into society, okay. right? If they you know, we got guys everywhere from who have a life, have a job, have a family, to people who we picked up underneath the bridge in a ditch. Okay. Right. So. So you don't have to just come off of a service right away. No. If you've been, you know, out for three, four, five doesn't years, doesn't matter. Whatever. We've got, we got as everybody. As long as you want the help and you Absolutely. come, 
you're going to get the We help. got guys from the Iraqi Afghanistan War all the way to the Vietnam War. All that matters is that to us, a combat vet, have you stepped foot in a combat zone and do you have a PTSD diagnosis? Right. So the qualifications are if you have one deployment to a combat zone, got to have a PTSD diagnosis, which if you don't, we can get you involved with our licensed clinicians who can help you get diagnosed. Okay. If you have two or more deployments, you don't need a diagnosis or if you have a combat award. Right. For Marine Corps, it's combat action ribbon. Army, it's combat action badge, um, combat infantry badge. Anything that says that you were legitimately in action in combat, okay. you can get in. And that's really our only requirements. Do you think there's a big, I mean, I'm sure there is, but from your point of view, what's the biggest difference between a combat person, veteran, and a non-combat? The trauma is different, right? They're exposed to different experience like you said war war like that that actual right because and ptsd is such a broad spectrum right you don't have to you, you can get ptsd outside of a combat zone you can get it from car wreck you can get it from you know sexual assault domestic assault assault in general all right like ptsd is an abnormal response to a normal event right you have experienced a traumatic event and now your brain has rewired right, right? the chemicals in your brain have changed right. Right. So that can come from we see it a lot in first responders, which we're moving to work into as well. Right. Because you got to think as a first responder, as a police officer, and I talk to them, I do a lot of talks with the academies and the mental health and the crisis teams because they always want to know how to help a veteran, a combat vet in crisis. I'm like, well, how about we help you, too? Right. Because I spent 10, 11 months in Iraq in a combat zone. But a police officer, you spent your entire life. Right. You're stuck in that flight, flight or freeze, that survival mode, because as a police officer, you never know. Rather, it's a routine traffic stop or a domestic call or a, you know, a wellness check. Is this the day that I don't go back home to my family? Correct. You were literally living in that flight, flight, or freeze eight hours a day for your entire life. Like, that takes a toll. It takes effect on you. Same with firefighters. Right? I saw more as an EMT firefighter than I did in Iraq when it came to, like, traumatic, like, right. a lot events, of the right? Wrecks. A lot of mm. car wrecks, a lot of things involving kids. Like, that takes a toll on yeah, you. Yeah, I was a volunteer for, like, two years. And so uh, you, yeah, you see a lot of things that you wouldn't normally see, and it's happening right around your corner or neighborhood. And the problem is you never get a chance to really grieve it, right? That, that's that's what the, the main cause of a moral wound is the grief, being able to grieve what you just saw and what you just lost. Right. Firefighters, police officers, you make a call, you see something traumatic, you don't have time to sit there and process it. You got to move on to the next call. Right. Right. Same thing in war. Right. You go to a combat zone, you're in a firefight, bad things happen, firefights are done. You're just like, holy crap. But you don't have time to process that because you got to get back on the road and hit the next mission. Right. Right. You never have time to take time to process what you just experienced. And then the military teaches you, well, don't process it. Feelings don't matter shove it down inside and just suck Keep it up going. and drive on. That's been the main thing for military. Suck it up and drive on. Is that, is that right? a saying? Is that a saying? Or that's a literal yeah. saying in the military. Oh, well, suck, suck, suck it up, private. Keep moving. Yeah, that's just for efficiency, right? For efficiency, right? Because you have to. To be combat effective, you have to have that mentality of, I don't have time to sit here and process this. I got to move on to the next call, next mission. I got a job to do. I got things to do. I can't sit here and process this. And then by the time you get back to your fob or for us, we were on the road the whole time. So back we get back to our tent, right? I don't have time to process. I can't go to sleep because I just I was awake for 72 hours. Correct. I finally get a couple hours of sleep. I'm not going to spend that process, and I'm going to go to sleep. Where did, where did, where did you, where did you uh, deploy? Where did you go? So I was in Iraq. And so what I did, I was part of what's called a Marine Transitioning Team. And so we were attached to a group of Iraqi Army, 
as well as Iraqi Special Forces. And our job was to, I was there in 2007, so it was a couple years after the initial push. So we were trying to get the remaining insurgents out of Iraq and push them north to Syria. So our job was to follow this route, follow these villages, hit village to village, find the insurgents and keep either neutralize them or push them forth out of Iraq into Syria because we're there to, you know, establish democracy, right? So a lot of what we did, we got to stay on base a couple of times just to rest and get some, you know, R&R and to get some actual food in our system, but then we were back on the road. So I spent my entire deployment doing that. At the time you were 18, 19? I was 18, 18. yeah. Did you understand the the grand scheme of things or did Not you? at first. Mm. You know, because I joined because 9-11, right? I was, I was in eighth grade when 9-11 happened. Right. I saw what happened. The first time I saw my dad cry because he's a police officer. He's, my dad was man, my dad's a rough dude, SWAT team, police officer. He, you know, he taught me how to be a man. And so when I saw him cry the first time, that affected me, right? Because it was when the towers fell. Right. He's crying because police officers are dying. And he kept saying, there's nothing that I can do. My brothers are dying. There's nothing that I can do. So I decided, well, I can. So when I turned 17, I joined, you know, I joined the Marine Corps. And I thought I knew what I was going to get myself into until I was there, mm. right? Because you hear on the news, you see on the television, oh, we're there to fight for freedom, mm. right? And then you get over there and you find out what's really going on. And you find out if we're fighting for freedom, you know, why am I in a one third world country that has nothing to do with America? And two, why am I seeing people guarding oil patches? Why am I seeing special forces guys in Afghanistan guarding poppy fields? Right, like you see what's really going on right. over there, and it has nothing to do with freedom. Because if we were right. fighting for freedom, we'd be back home. Right? right, that's our freedom. Our freedom doesn't exist in Iraq. Right, their freedom—they didn't want it. Like they didn't want democracy. Some of them did. And then you hear on the news, well, you're fighting this, you're fighting that. All terrorists are bad. Like most of the civilians that we came across wanted us there, because they wanted us to push out the people who were in charge. Right. Right. So you really learn what's really going on. And then you start to question a lot. Is, is so this what, what was really going on? Was it the fight for power? Was it the... Of course. Yeah. It was the fight for power. It was the fight for the, the oil, right? Because our government at the time... Because you got to think, man, you, if you really want to dive into it, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means. Right. Right. But when two plus two doesn't equal four, I'm going to start asking questions. Right. And a lot about what happened on 9-11 wasn't adding up, right? And then you think about the weapons of mass destruction, our government wanting, like there's a reason that we wanted to go to Iraq. You look at the Vietnam War, right? You're telling me that in World War One, World War Two, we annihilated top three, top four most powerful nations in the world. But then we go to a little rice farming country and we can't win that war. We didn't want to win the war. Why? We were there for a lot of different reasons, but the majority was the uranium. If you look at the Vietnam War, the Clinton Foundation, we were literally raping their uranium mines. And so many people, so many companies, because money, war makes money. Correct. Definitely. It makes money for the people who are the elites, for the ones who own the companies, the ones who are really in charge of this country. It makes them money because now their products are getting utilized. Right. You look at World War II, right, industrial revolution. Did we need World War II? Absolutely. We're coming out of a depression. Right. Right. We're coming out of a, what wasn't a depression? It was more of a, I can't think of the word. But a, a recession, right? So we needed our country to make money because you're not going to like – you're telling me if you look at – and, again, this is just my opinion. Um, take it for what it is. But when you look at Pearl Harbor, you're telling me that the most intelligent, smartest, most tactical individuals at that time who were in charge of our military, 
right? Their job is to be as tactical as possible. You're telling me they all came together and said, you know what's a great idea? Let's take every naval ship that we have and put them all in the same spot. Right. Like, that makes sense. Like, who, who looks at that and thinks, yeah, that's a great idea? There's a reason for that. And this was at the very middle of the war. It was. This was in, and we weren't yeah. involved yet. We right. were neutral. Right. But war makes money. And the right. next thing you know, World War II, we got steel being made. We got ammunition being made. It kicked our, it kickstarted our country back into, back into an economical you know, success. Why? Because of war. There's always a reason for war, and it hardly ever has to do with freedom. Right, right. So while you were there and you started putting things together, is this why you only were there for four years? You were only enlisted for yeah, four years? Yeah, so when I got out, um, I had a bad unit, uh, a lot of piss-poor leadership, and then I really saw what was happening. A lot of junior Marines, those who were you know corporals, NCOs, and below, getting thrown under the bus so that the staff, NCOs, and officers can look better. And I just I didn't like the games. I didn't like playing games. It's all about games, right? Especially for a Marine who's in garrison when we're not at war and we're back home. We do a it's a bunch of game playing, right? Like, why can't I just go home? Instead, I have to sit here and pick up pine needles for four hours. There was a time I was literally painting rocks, painting rocks, right, to make time go. Yes, that's a Marine in garrison. And I'm like, I'm I'm done with this. I want to move on with my life. Like, there's a lot of other things that I can do at the time. That's when I really got into the fire department. I was watching a show called Rescue Me, and I was like, this looks like a fun job to do. And plus, I wanted to keep show. serving, right? I didn't. And so when I got out, I, I, went, I mean, I went straight into the fire department. I was I was enrolled in the EMT school before I even got out of the Marine Corps, right? So there's a lot of game playing, a lot of manipulation, and they tell you a unit will either make or break your career. Whether it's the Marine Corps, Army, whatever, if you have a bad unit, bad leadership, they will destroy your motivation for wanting to serve. And I saw it all the time. And I had some of the worst leadership there was. Right, our my my staff NCO Gunnery Sergeant Sermons, that dude would throw our unit under the bus for anything just to make himself look good. Anytime there was a working party, anytime there was a sacrifice that needed to be made, it was always us. And I'm like, I'm done with this. I tried the lap move. So a lap move is. You have one job, you move into another, right? So I tried to change my MOS to EOD, which is Explosive Ordnance Disposal, because I had a staff sergeant, Staff Sergeant Emmerich, I wear his name on my, because he got killed in Afghanistan, but he really took me under his wing, taught me the essence of being a Marine, right? Taught me how to be the part of the man that my father never taught me, right? Taught me how to be not, not always hard, but also loving too. He really helped guide me, right? Mentored me. And so I wanted to do what he did, which is explosive ordnance disposal. So I did the entire package, which was like two and a half months of work. You got to get interviews. You got to get signatures, right, from all types of, you know, commanding officers, all kinds of stuff that I had to do. It took me about two and a half months to get this package put together. All I needed was his signature. He was the last person I came to. Like, right, all I need is your signature, Gunny, and I'm ready to rock. He said, cool, leave me your folder. I'll sign it and turn it into Sergeant Chapman. Sergeant Chapman was the career um, sergeant. He handle stuff like that and that was about three months before our my second deployment and so about a week before we're leaving sergeant chapman comes to me and goes hey man never got your eod package i was like what are you talking about i turned into gunning sermons like three months ago he's like i never got it from him i was like cool follow me so we walked right into gunnery sergeant sermons office i was like hey man you didn't hey gunny you didn't turn in my 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 lap move package he goes yeah because you turn it into last minute i'm not about people who procrastinate 
I'm like, Gunny, I turned it into you two, three months ago. He's like, no, you didn't. Get out of my office. Wow. And so at that point, I'm like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm done with this life. I'm, it's time for me to move on. Plus, I was married with uh, uh, a daughter at the time. And so my, my wife, she was really not wanting me to stay in. She's like, I'm tired of this lifestyle. I'm tired of you always, you know, you're going to deploy again. Like, that's the reason why I didn't go to Afghanistan was because of her. And so, yeah, I got out and nice. moved on with my life. Nice, nice. So you get out, you start the fire department, um, and then what What got you back with this, or what got you to this organization? So I worked, I got my fire my, my, my fire license, I got my certification, I got certified on my own. Um, when, when Magnolia caught on fire, that was the first fire I ever fought, a bunch of wildfires, but I didn't understand what was going on with me, right? Like I had, which now, I now know is, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, but when I got out, man, I was I was a wreck. I couldn't build a connection with my daughter. I couldn't build a connection with my wife. Like, I was just a shell of a human being. And when you say not build a connection, what is it? I couldn't communicate, connect, like, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of things that happened in Iraq that dealt with children, yes. right? So I couldn't, there was no connection there. There was no, like, I was just a numb human kind of shell, just emotionless. Like, me and my wife would get in fights, and I wouldn't even care. Like, whatever. Like, my daughter would cry. I don't care. Like, I just, there was nothing left. Of, I was a shell of a person. And so I started self-medicating to help combat that. And uh, there came a point where my wife was just done with it. And then I came home one day. I'd go on these three-week-long binges where i just go off, drink, drug, come back, tell her, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. We'd shake, make, you know, make love, make, right. make you know, fix everything, make up, and then I'd go right back to doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And it was a vicious cycle. Until one day I came, I mean, I remember she hugged me in the kitchen one day and she's like, please don't leave me and your daughter need you. And I felt nothing like, you know, I just moved her out the way, went on my next wow. binge. And then I came home to an empty apartment. And that was the day that, you know, I, I felt the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Cause I love my daughter, but not knowing if she'd ever come, if I'd ever see her again, like I was done with life. And so that's when I decided I was going to kill myself. Right, but luckily my dad, he's a smart dude. He knew something was going on with me, so he tricked my wife into giving him my weapons, my, my, my firearms. So I didn't have any weapons to use, right? So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'll just put myself in situations, hoping the universe would just take me out. And so I did all, I remember there was one time back in those days, it was 2011 time frame, there was a, a real bad ice storm in Houston. They shut the freeways down. I drove down 59 the wrong way during the middle of an ice storm, just hoping somebody would take me out. Didn't happen. And so one day I was sitting in the dope house trying to overdose and God spoke into my life. And he said, if you are to going to accomplish this mission, if you were going to kill yourself, the pain that you're running from that you don't have the, the, the guts to face and work through isn't going to end. It's going to get transferred to your daughter. And then she has to live the rest of her life with the same pain you're on that you're not man enough to face up. It was like, and it was like, he, it's like somebody was standing there talking to me. And I was like, I can't handle that. Can't do that. So I called my dad. He was the only person who'd even answer my phone at the time. Uh, I didn't know this, but my grandparents went to the church with the guy who started the PTSD Foundation. They've been trying to get me help for a year at that point. Called my dad. He called the PTSD Foundation. They came, picked me up, took me to Camp Hope, started working through my issues. And I've been with the foundation ever since. Wow. That's crazy. I feel like whenever you're going through um, what you're going through and you say you feel numb, 
it's not that it's your choice. It's just that you don't feel it. You don't feel it, Mm. right? Because, like I said, the military is really good at teaching you how to be an emotionless robot, especially the Marine Corps. Instant obedience to orders, right? But you can't take an 18-year-old kid, throw him in a war zone with the ability to kill, take a life, without first removing his ability to feel, without first removing that conscience, without first removing the emotions. The problem is when you get out, they don't tell you to get that back. Right. And uh, they take it out by by what? How, how do they do That's what boot camp is for. They desensitize you. They brainwash you pretty much. They break you down emotionally, mentally, spiritually, cognitively, and then they build you back up to what they need you to be. Right? That's why you do a lot of drilling, a lot of training. It's just over and over and over repetitive doing the same thing over and over and over again from everything from weapons drilling the weapons training the com, you know hand-to-hand combat to fixing your bed every day right right they would literally break they were that they, they they call it playing games there's one that i hated it was sit down stand up right so the drill instructor would get in front of us and he would just over and over again sit down right now stand up right now sit down right now stand up and you're just standing there Standing up and sitting down, and we'd do this for hours. Or he'd tell you, go go make your rack, do it, now move. So you go to your bed, you make your rack, and your rack had to be, I'm not talking about, it had to be so tight that you could bounce a quarter off of it. And if it wasn't perfect, you got, it was called smoked, right? So they take you outside, and they just run you through a bunch of exercises over and over for hours. Right? So you had to make sure your bed was tight. Then once you made it, got it all nice and tight, he goes, good. Then he'd say, two sheets in a blanket, do it, not move. So what you would have to do is go over to your rack and rip off your blanket, your sheets, everything that you just spent time getting real nice, tidy, and tight, throw it in the middle of the, of the, of the squad bay, and he'd mix it all up, and he'd tell us to remake our racks. And we would do this all day long. We had these little lockers, a foot locker. We had a combination lock on it. So what they would do is they would make us take all of our locks, unlock them, throw them in the middle of the squad bay, They'd mix them up and lock them together. Go find your lock. There's 90 of us at this point in time. There's 90 locks. Wow. Spiderweb into this concoction of a nest that we have to find our locks. And they make us do it at the end of the day during our free time. Me, I got smart. I took my lock, and there's a little metal hinge on the footlocker. It's a wooden footlocker with metal hinges. Mm. And I, I made a significant, like a, like a certain mark on the back of my lock. So I always knew where it was. Hmm. I remember one time they take your foot lockers. That's where you kept all your letter writing gear, your information, everything that you owned at that time, which wasn't much fit in this foot locker. So they would take it and they would dump all the foot locker contents into the middle of the squad bay and mix it all up and then make you go get your stuff. Or they take your shoes, they call them go fasters or PT shoes, throw them all in the middle of the squad bay, mix them all up and then give you five seconds to grab a pair. I walked around with a size 11 and a size seven for like two weeks. Wow. Just because of that. So I tried to get my stuff in the Foot Locker, and I, they take you to the PX once a week. Well, I bought Ziploc bags, and I put all my stuff in Ziploc bags so that when they dumped it out, I knew where my stuff was. Well, <laughs> Sergeant Lopez saw that, so he decided to take everything in my Foot Locker, and we were in the second story, so he took all my stuff and dumped it outside out of the Ziploc. And it was windy. It's San, it's San Diego. So you right? can't get it, smart. Can't get smart. You can't you outsmart them, but you have to go through it. They break you and down. That's the process. That's the process. It's not like you're wasting time. That is the time. That is the, that is the time. That is teaching you instant obedience to orders. Because when you get to war, you don't have time to think. Right. When I'm in combat and my superior officer is giving me a direct order or my platoon sergeant is giving me a direct order, 
I don't have time to sit there and question the order or figure out why. He needs me to instantly respond to it. He doesn't it. need your brain. He doesn't he need my it. brain. He needs me to instantly respond to what he's telling me to do because he sees what I don't. Right? It's kind of like how I look at my relationship with Christ. I don't sit here and question the things that God tells me to do because he sees further into the future than I do. So many people say, why? Right? Why? When I start when I start relying on what I think is best, that's why I end up at Dope House is trying to take my life. Right. right? So when I look at my relationship with Christ, I... It's hard, right? Because we're, 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 we're humans. We have, we're born into sin, right? But when God's giving me a directive, I don't want to sit here and think about it. I want to instantly obey it because I know he knows what's best for me. Same right. with war. My platoon sergeant, my CO, he knows what's best for me sometimes, most of the time, right? So they need instant obedience to orders, and you get that in boot camp. Drilling. We used to drill for hours, Wow. hours and what you know what drill is they tell you to do something and you do it right you're marching they're telling you you know right step yeah. left step they're calling cadence right half step and open you remember step. this so i remember clearly. i could sit here and do drill in my head all day mm -hmm. i could take you could take me outside right now put a group of marines in front of me and i could lead them through a, a, a series of drilling like it was yesterday i call cadence and everything would that would that whole process prepare you for a combat or no nothing can prepare you for combat but it does it does it doesn't prepare you for what you're going to experience mm. but it prepares you for how you respond to it instant. right instant instant like you don't think like your training kicks in that's why when we go to pre-deployment training it's a literal exercises and, and movements and maneuvers and you know mock mock missions so that and you i mean we did it over and over and over again so that when you're in combat the bullets start flying you don't sit here and think no about freeze. what to do you just do it just wow. Mo most firefights you can't even remember what happened it's like a flash you're, you're it's just, like a right like someone snapped their finger and it's over it could be a three four hour firefight and most of what happened during that firefight you don't remember anything you just know well, i didn't die during that one Right, because it's such a your 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 brain kicks in to fight, flight, or freeze. It's an automated Correct. response, right? You have no control over it. You have no control over what happens whenever that adrenaline kicks in. You're either going to freeze, run, or fight. Well, we've been conditioned to fight, and so when that happens, that automated takes over. You're no longer in control of your brain. Your brain's in control now. Yep. So you have to train it mm -hmm. to respond a specific way once. You know the shit hits the fan, and so that's what happens. And that, I mean, you gotta think boot camp is three and a half, three and a half months for for Marines. First phase, second phase, third phase. One phase is just simply just straight field training. You're up in the mountains of California, just getting. There's a, there's a thing called a crucible, where they give you one MRE for a solid week, and then they take you through these different. They break you down physically, and then they put you through these mental challenges. Right, so they wear you out to where you can't even hardly walk anymore, and then they put you through these little these little mental puzzles that you have to figure out as a team. Right, so now you're wore out, you're exhausted. Now I have to cognitively process how to work through a puzzle. Right, that teaches you what to do in combat because you just do it, and we wow. would do it repetitively. And that's how you earned your EGA, your Eagle Globe and Anchor, was you made it through the Crucible. And at the very end, we hike up this mountain called um oh i can't even think of the name of it no more it's a it's a hell of a mountain you just walk up it there's like a whole battalion of us just steep mountain up steep mountain down so and uh would you say that all that training and all that 
that you went through now in your regular regular life let's say what you're doing now going to the gym punching a bag doing jujitsu going to work none of that uh i mean it has its challenges but do you do you think that that helped you oh 100 i thrive in chaos now you take a combat vet and throw them in a stressful chaotic situation just just, just stand back and watch mm. right it's the times when things are peaceful and everything's going great that we freak out because you start thinking because we start you don't thinking. have a mission you don't, I don't have, have a, goal. a mission i don't you have start, a goal right. i don't have a drive i don't have a purpose so but you throw us in chaos man we'll thrive right i thrive like being like even the different jobs i've had right being a bartender i would love coming into a shift where it was just me on a friday night chaos. like i don't need y'all i don't need y'all to come help mm. me just watch me do my thing i love that because i don't have to think I just right. everything I did would just kick in. Follow Same with pressure. your job I have now, right? Chaos, you know, snatching dudes out of dope houses and bars and right. Like I've, I've literally, I've literally had pistols pulled on me, man. Like having to snatch a dude up out of the, uh, call it the avenues down in Beaumont, like just straight. It's like it's like a neighborhood of just crack houses, and I'm and we're going up in there trying to pull somebody out who wants to come to Camp Hope with my pistol on my hip, like. Oh, you guys actually? Do oh this. yeah, we do all that. We have a we have our own crisis line. It's a eight seven 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 one seven PTSD. If you're a combat vet in crisis, call that phone number. Man, twenty four seven by a combat vet, right? So that's part of what we do in outreach. Is we get a wow. call, someone's man the bat phone. Hey man, there's this dude down in Beaumont. He's in this apartment complex. He's high on crack. He wants help. So we go get him. We'll snatch him up out the house. Take him to a detox. So we have partnerships with different detox centers across the 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 city. Take him to a detox center, get him detox, get all the drugs out of his system, get his mind right, and then bring him into Camp Hope. Like, what kind of resistance would y'all face um, when you would go get this guy? All kinds of resistance. Like I said, they pulled pistols on us because they didn't. Because so for this situation, they didn't pull the pistols on this particular one, but you can tell it was getting there. Because you got to think this guy's a veteran on disability, mm. right? So he's getting a disability check every right, month. Right. So that's their cash cow, oh. right? All these different, you know, dope heads. That's the guy who's going to buy us the dope. So they don't want us going there and getting them. So they're going to they're going to put resistance. Luckily right. this time they didn't. I don't know why, but me and me and my my right hand man Shane Hawthorne, man, that dude, he was he. You know Shane? Yeah, yeah, Shane. That dude did five combat deployments with with third group. So third group is special forces, right? That boy don't play. That dude had a hurt foot. He couldn't even walk. He was rolling around on a scooter with one leg because he had surgery on his foot. He rolled with me. He had his pistol on his head. He yelled out the window, y'all go ahead and do what y'all got to do, but so will we. But he's coming out that house. And that boy was ready to throw down. And um, they just sat there, luckily that time. And then dude came out the house, got in our van, and we took off. That's amazing. We do that all the time, man. I've had pistols pulled on me trying to get into dude's apartments. Right? Like. Because you got to think, veteran on disability, you down in the dope situation, you down in dope houses, they don't want him to leave. No, that's month, a guaranteed check every money. month. Yep, yep, guaranteed. Yep. If you think, if it's 100%, that's at least three grand. That's a lot of dope. Yeah, but you, you've had to uh, be ready for this moment, right? Because uh, um, with, uh, with PTSD, like, would it trigger anything yeah so that's part of the camp hope program mm. is you learn to identify the triggers and then you learn how to de-escalate it right that's what jujitsu does for me that's how it helps me right because there are certain situations in jujitsu that you get into 
that your brain's not used to being in, right? right. If I got a dude yes. who's like got in Chris Loop, this dude used to play for the NFL. He does some strongman competitions and wins. Like, dude's squatting in 700, 800 pounds, and he's athletic. Like, a dude like him on top of me in side control, I'm freaking out. Yeah. Like, get this big dude off of me. But what you have to do in jujitsu is when you get in those situations, you got to calm your brain mm -hmm. down. Right, you feel like you're drowning. You feel like you're dying, but you're not. It's just your brain is in survival mode. Right. Fight, flight, or freeze is kicked in. Your adrenaline's pumping. You think you're gonna die, but you're not because your brain's telling you you are. So you have to revert, slow your brain down, catch your breath, get your breathing right, and then think. Okay, now I'm in this situation. How do I get myself out? It's the same with being triggered. Right, when my PTSD gets triggered, I don't have a lot. I've worked through a lot of the triggers that I have, but the one that I it, it gets me is mm. the sound of a of a child screaming mm. right when i hear kids scream i'm right back in iraq so what i have to instantly. do instantly instantly so either a, i have to remove myself from the situation if i can and if i can't i do the same thing i do in jujitsu i slow my brain down okay you're not in iraq and i'll start doing what's called um it's called exposure therapy but okay, you start identifying, identifying mm. things right like i'll say okay that's a Dragon Ball Z great ape Goku pop it, right? That's a camera. That's a microphone. This is a clear blender bottle protein shaker. That's a cup of water. And what it's doing is dissociating my mind. It's taking it from the mentality of I'm back in Iraq and, a, and, a, and my life is threatened back to reality. And so I slow my brain down and I start processing. Okay, I'm not in Iraq. I'm okay. It's just a, I'm at a kid's birthday party. <laughs> Right, and so I slow my brain down and start working through that trigger, and that's how jujitsu's helped me. But you learn how to do that too at Camp Hope with just different therapies. Art, a lot of guys like art, they'll color and they'll draw to bring their brains back to reality, right? But in in triggers, your brain doesn't know any better. Your flight bladder freezes kicked in, right. right? And the way I've explained it to like police officers and different first responders, if you imagine your brain, like this is your brain, right? Your wrist, this this part is the brainstem. This is the part of your brain. I think it's called the limbic system. That's this is your logic and your reasoning, right? This is the things that you can control. This part of your brain is the um, oh, I can't think of the, I can't remember the name, but this is automated. This is flight fighter freeze right here. This is a normal person's brain. They're, they 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 feel their life is threatened. Their brain kicks into flight fighter freeze. Logic and reasoning opens up. This part of your brain is now in control, right? But in a normal person. Once that threat has been elevated or alleviated, this comes back down. Now logic and reasoning is back in control, right? You ever heard flip your lid? Mm -hmm. Kind of what it relates to. With combat vets or people who have PTSD, we're stuck here, mm -hmm. right? Flight, fight, or freeze, that is a part of our brain that is always in control now, right? So whenever we, our brain perceives a threat for a combat vet, we have been trained, see threat, perceive threat, identify threat, destroy threat, right? We've been trained to do that. So when our brain perceives a threat, we instantly want to kill that threat. The problem is when we're stuck in flight, fight, or freeze, anything can be a threat. Right. A stressor, right? I got a test coming up. I got a test tomorrow I haven't studied for. Okay, now I'm stressed. Now my brain's perceiving a threat. Then I go home. My kid's being an a-hole. He's being a little turd. Now my stress is elevated. My wife catches an attitude with me because she's Panamanian and she lives in an attitude. Right? Now I'm triggered. Right? Now... I have all these things and my brain is perceiving as a threat. I respond to that threat. 
right? So we have to learn as combat vets to de-escalate our brains. Like, it's not a threat. It's just a stress. Right. right. But it's hard when this is your brain. Like, our brains have literally been, the chemicals on our brain have been rewired. And so we have to learn, we call it at Camp Hope, learning the new norm, right? Because the person who left, who existed before war, isn't the same person who came home. Correct. So now you have to learn, A, who are you now? And how do I deal with who I am now? And how do I move forward with who I am now? And it all starts to, it all starts by addressing your trauma. You can't, you can't pretend like it doesn't exist, right? Think of a pressure cooker. If I shove a bunch of stuff into a pressure cooker, eventually that pressure cooker is going to fill up. Pressure is going to be too much and it's going to explode. Correct. That's what it's like to take your stresses and your issues and your trauma and you shove it down deep, deep down inside. Eventually that pressure cooker is going to go off. And most of the time, it goes off at the most inopportune moments, and you're yelling and cussing at somebody who has nothing to do with what's really going on, right? And we as people, as humans, we tend to take out our stresses and our frustrations on the ones that we love most. Right. Without even knowing. Without even knowing yeah, just, Because they're, they're our safe people. Kind of like what was happening with your ex-wife right. and your... Exactly, right? It had nothing to do with them, but they or who got the, the brunt end of it, right? You go home and fight with your wife. My wife, it got nothing to do with her nine just, times out of ten. Yeah, I've just been dealing with stuff at work, dealing with different threats. I come home, I'm already in a moment where anything could just pop me off. My pressure cooker explodes at her. She's the one who's in front of me. Ain't got nothing to do with her. Right. right. So you have to learn how to pull yourself out of that triggered environment. you got to learn how to work with the brain that you have, not the brain that you had. Because it's different. And so that's... In a nutshell, the essence of what you learn at Camp Hope. Okay. And then the process you said earlier was about six to eight six months. Six to eight months. Plus or minus you start right, working because with them. We have a transition portion. So the guys who don't have a job, don't have a place to live, they have nothing, right? They go through what's called yellow phase, green phase. Yellow phase and green phase, okay, now that you've got your, your wits about you, you've got a basic understanding of how to deal with your issues, you know what's going on, now let's start to transition you back into society. Right. Let's help you build a resume. Let's get your credit in order. Let's let let we suit. Let's get you a suit that fits for your interview. Let's teach you how to do an interview. Let's get you a job. Let's get you a place to live. Let's get you a car. Right. Let's help you get all the things that you need to survive outside of Camp Hope and to be a functioning member of society. A lot of programs they do these weekend retreats. Right. Oh, yeah, let's go have fun and do a weekend retreat, which are awesome. The problem is what happens after that retreat's over? Now right. that combat bit's going right back to the environment that he's trying to get away from. Like, let's help these guys transition back into society. Let's not just toss them off to the wolves and tell them have a great day, which the VA loves to do, right? You go to the VA, you go to your psych, your shrink doctor, he asks you what's wrong, you tell him, he pumps you full of medication, tells you, hey, have a great day. See you next week. Like, I don't need I'm, – I'm not against medication. There are a lot of mental – Right, mental issues that you know, bipolar, schizophrenic. There are mental issues that require medication. My son's autistic, right? There are certain medications that he has to take right now to help him with his mental disability. Right? Correct. He's he's on the he's on the side where he struggles with emotional regulation. He can't help it, right? So there's certain medications that he takes that helps him with the emotional regulation. But there's a lot of medications that we don't need. You look at Suboxone and Methadone are the first two that I can think of, right? Suboxone and Methadone are synthetic opiates that Big Pharma is given to, 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 to drug users, right? So you get off of heroin, and then they give you Suboxone to help you get off of heroin. But what is Suboxone? It's synthetic heroin. Correct. It's the same thing. But now Big Pharma makes a paycheck off of it. Yeah. So they shove you through it's a whole other industry, right? So my thing was I wanted to get to a point 
where I could deal with my PTSD without any outside influences. Because what happens if I can't get a hold of that, right? Like medical marijuana is huge. It works, if we're being honest, marijuana works, it works wonders with combat vets and PTSD. The THC, the way the cannabinoids work with our brains, it helps us to react, to, de to deescalate, it helps regulate our emotions. It really does help. But me, A, I'm a recovering alcoholic and an addict, right? I don't want to do anything that's going to detriment that. B, I work for a recovery center. How right. can I sit here and tell guys, hey, man, don't do drugs and then if I'm over here smoking weed? Like, doesn't make right. sense, right? And not only that, my main issue was, well, what happens if I can't get to it? Definitely. What happens if I'm triggered and I can't get to my joint or I can't get to my gummy or I can't get to my brownie? Now I'm left to my own devices. And if I haven't learned how to pull myself out of that, it's going to be a bad day. So I wanted to learn how to do it, just me and God. And so that's also what Camp Hope does. We don't take God's medications away by any means. But we do have licensed nurses on staff who we tell them, hey, if you want to deregulate and get off this medication, you got to do it the right way. You can't just cut yourself off cold turkey. You're going to mess yourself up. Right. So we help them regulate and wean themselves off medication. We've had a lot of success with that. That's good. Man, wow. So, it's a lot. So what's the what's the about the rate, right? You bring in 10 people, and out of 10 people, what's the average rate that, that stay on the program? And oh, it, man, it depends because we have seasons, right? So you'll have this season of a group of guys who comes in. They want it. They want to get better. They make it. They graduate. Then we got a season of guys who are only here because their mama wants them to be or because their wife told them that she'd leave if they didn't come. Right, so those are the guys who really don't make it through, or the ones who, like a lot of addicts who are in recovery, like they want to get better, but are they willing to do what's necessary to get better? Like as a recovering addict myself, you have to be in a mindset where you're willing to do anything and everything it takes to get better, right? And when you Google and look at the definition of anything and everything, it's anything and everything, regardless of how you feel about it. There's a lot of things I have to do as an addict that I don't want to do, but it's what keeps me sober. And so if these guys aren't in that mentality, they're not going to make it through, right? Well, what is one thing that you have to do that it's like, or you had to do? For me, I had to submit and turn my life over to Christ. That's the one thing that I had to do that I have to do on an everyday basis. Because again, Adam and, see, Adam and Eve messed it up for us, right. right? We're born into sin, so we have a sinful nature. That's why Christ died on the cross for us to pay that price. So I have to fight against my flesh every single day. I have to wake up and ask God, I need your help today because there's going to be things that I have to do that I don't want to do that keep me sober, right? Like before I got sober, if I was talking, I was lying. Like I'm master manipulator. I can talk my way into or out of anything I need to, right? So as a believer, as a recovering addict, I make sure to work an authentic recovery program of honesty. If I'm talking, I'm not going to lie to you. But sometimes that comes with a lot of consequences too because I'm pretty bluntly honest with people right. and I say I don't hide my feelings I'm gonna tell you how I feel right I've learned some tact I've learned diplomacy and how to deliver it in a different way right especially if I plan on eventually walking into the you know in, 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 into the pulpit one of these days I gotta learn soft skills but I'm bluntly honest I have to be honest even when it hurts right like when my wife asks me hey babe am I gaining weight I'm like hmm. no I don't know. I don't say no. I didn't tell her no. I didn't tell her no, but I was loving in my answer. I said, honey, think of it this way. You're no longer a teenager because you have a fast metabolism. You were gifted with that. God graced you with the fast metabolism. You're used to eating anything you want and still staying sexy. I said, you're not a teenager anymore. 
and you eat like crap and you don't work out. So what do you think? Oof. And she just looks at me and I'm like, I'm just being honest, babe. Right. I was like, you're asking me my opinion. Right. I was like, me personally, I think you're sexy as heck. That's why I married you. I wouldn't have married you if I thought you were fat and ugly. I'm, 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 right. I'm shallow. Right. It's just me. But That's if, every man. Yeah, like, but if you're asking me, have you gained weight since I met you? Yes. Now, if you're not okay <laughs> with it, do something about it. Yeah. I don't mind. She's Latina. You told yeah, me that? I, I did. And you know what she's doing now? She's meal prepping. She wakes up every morning at 4.30 to go work out every day. Like, because I was honest with her, right. she took that honesty and she ran with it, right? right. I wasn't rude or disrespectful right. about it. Okay. I was just lovingly honest. Because yeah. the last yeah. thing I want to do is say, no, you're not. And then she looks in the mirror and, oh, I am. Now you like, you like, do I lie to me? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want that. Like, I, I have to be honest. And I think the most important thing you can do um, is uh, outline the behaviors, not not say you right. are fat. You are say, fat. Well, what have you been doing? Have you been eating healthy or have yep. you been not eating healthy? It's 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 pointing out. And I don't ever like you point at fingers. Right. There's always you know like the <laughs> yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, if yeah, you yeah, point yeah, one, yeah. you got four fingers pointing back. That's why in the military and the Marine Corps, knife hand. Like, all the fingers it's are pointing at you. Ain't <laughs> not pointing back at me, right? But you you bring light to the behavior. It's mm-hmm. the same thing in recovery. It's the same thing in being a Christian, right? Like, my job isn't to judge you, right? But Christ calls me to live an authentic lifestyle, right? And if I'm sitting here preaching with my mouth, I love for Christ. If I am confirming that I follow Christ, if I'm committing to Christ with my mouth, but my lifestyle doesn't show that, people pay more attention to actions than they do words, right? right? And I've heard it before where the the single... the single aspect or the single cause of atheism today are people who proclaim Jesus with their mouth and then deny him with their lifestyle, right? Because people do a lot of this. But if I'm if I'm going to accept something such as a Christian belief or a new mindset or new core values or new morals, I'm going to pay attention to where the source is coming from. And if you're telling me something that you're not living yourself, I know you're full of crap and I'm not going right. to listen to you. Right. Right. But Christ calls me to accept him, to follow him, to remove myself. Right. Paul says, I die to myself daily. Right. Remove my flesh, my fleshly desires, what Zach wants to do with his life. And I replace it with what God wants, because when I follow Christ and his plan for my life, he has taken me places that I could even dream for myself. If he told me five years ago that I have my bachelor's in Christian leadership and I'm halfway through my halfway through a master's of divinity, I'd laugh in your face. Like college for me, heck no. Right? Being a general manager of a Houston chapter for a combat vet organization, like psh, you've lost your mind. Honestly, what I wanted to do with my life was work at the found was work as, as a firefighter, snort cocaine on my off days and live my life. If we're being honest, that's what I wanted to do. And he has taken me places that I would never dreamed of, but it all comes down to the same question I ask my wife every day when she's talking about, you know, this meal prep and she's new to it. She doesn't understand that when you eat healthy, that's what you eat every day, all day. It's a it, lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. It gets bland. It gets redundant. Mm-hmm. It sucks. But I ask her, how bad do you want it? Right. How bad do you want the results that you're looking for? And, and sometimes it's, yes, it's the results, but also... The alternative is much, 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 much worse. worse. Like, let's say you want you wanted to be a firefighter and yep. snort cocaine, but you know where that. Yeah, I know that was going to lead to. <laughs> and you right? know that that pain and that damage is ten times, a hundred times worse. 
Oh, absolutely. Than following Christ and following what what he, he wants. Right. Like yeah. like giving up what, you know, your fleshy desires, things like that is not as bad as the What hunger. happens if I get them? Right. <laughs> what exactly. happens if I follow them? Right? Because then you're talking about a moral injury too. Right? You're talking right. about having to deal with cuz we're wired to want to do the right thing. Right. And especially as a believer, once you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, it's impossible. The Bible tells you it's impossible to live a life outside of Christ and be OK with it, because now you're going to be convicted. Now you have the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, yep. And you're just walking in the misery. And the more you walk away from Christ the more I walked away from Christ, the more miserable I became because I knew where I needed to be. Mm. I knew Christ had a different calling and purpose for my life, and I was trying to walk outside of it. And the more I walked away, the more miserable I got. But the closer I drew to him, the more I found joy, peace, and love, right? And I'm not talking, a lot of people confuse peace with, with silence, right? Peace in the Christian world is not silence. It is a foundation and the mentality of I'm going to be okay in no the what. midst of chaos, Correct. right? Like I'm in the middle of a hurricane, I'm in the middle of chaos, but I know because I believe that the God that I serve is the God that he says he is, the God who has promises for me to sustain me and to bring me into success. He's not against me. He's for me. I have faith in that. So even though I'm in the middle of this chaos, I'm okay. Right. And it's a type of peace and a type of joy that the world can't take away from me because the world didn't give it to me. Right. right. The world doesn't want stressors. They no. don't want all these things. They that... want everything to be handed to you. They want everything to be given, right? Not given, not earned. Right, yes, yeah, why you have all these different fad diets and all these diet pills and right easy easy way out, right? You right. mean look at steroids. Do steroids help? Absolutely, but you still have to put in the work. Yep. yep. That's what people don't understand is you gotta put in the work. And not a lot of people these days are willing to put in the work, which is why I asked that question, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want the results that you're looking for? How bad do you want to be sober? How bad do you want to be a representative of Christ? How bad do you want to live a lifestyle that Christ is Christ-centered that allows you to obtain the blessings and the promises that he has for your life? How bad do you want it? You want a specific job? You want a specific thing? You want this? You want that in your life? How bad do you want it, and are you willing to put in the work for it? Because if you're not, you're not going to get it. Right. It's an everyday mindset. I have to wake up every day understanding and believing and affirming in myself I have to want it bad enough to put in the work and do the things that I don't want to do to make it happen. And a lot of the times, most of what I do, I don't want to do. Right. I remember one time I had to do a crisis call. It was a guy who lived in Kansas. I got a call on a Saturday morning. Me and my wife have plans all planned out for the weekend. I get a call. Hey, there's this guy in Kansas. His, uh, he tried to commit suicide. His son walked in on him. Four-year-old son walked in on him and pulled a gun out of his hand. He needs our help. I didn't have an address. I didn't have a phone number. I had the location of a VFW that he went to every once in a while. We needed to go get him. I'm like, mother, I don't want, I got all, I, I didn't want to do it, but I knew that I had to. Right. Right. Because that was God's calling on my life. So I did drove that nine hours and I actually found the dude right by the grace of God. I was able to find him, but there's a lot of things in life that if you want it bad enough, you'll sacrifice for it. hundred percent. The question is, what are you willing to sacrifice? Right. What's more important to you, your result or what you feel you should have in life? Because there's a lot of entitlement in this world, too. You're looking around, especially with combat vets, man. And I was one of them. 
I was that entitled. I fought for your freedom. You owe me this. You owe me that. And it wasn't until another combat that looked at me and said, who owes you anything? Like, were you drafted? Well, no. And didn't you tell me that you volunteered for your Iraq deployment? Well, yeah. Then who owes you anything? You made that choice. Like, you chose to serve. You chose to go to Iraq. You chose to do the things that you've done in your life. Ain't nobody owe you anything. And I was like, ow, it's true. Right. It's true. The world owes you nothing. Right? No one in this world owes you nothing, especially God. If God never did anything other than died on the cross for me, that should be enough for me. Definitely. Because I believe that God is enough. Right? As a Christian, God doesn't owe me anything. He's already done for me more than I could ever repay him for by simply dying on the cross for my sins. That should be enough. Regardless of what my world looks like, regardless of what my worldly success looks like, I should be thankful for everything that I do have on top of him dying on the cross for my life. Right? Not a lot of people can accept that. It's hard for Christians to accept that, but that's where we're supposed to be. That's what we're called to be. That's the mentality that we're called to walk into. Gratefulness. Right? Like Paul says, of all these different sinners in the world, I am the least of all of them. Right? I strive towards the upward call of Jesus Christ. Paul lived his life in sacrifice just for simply knowing and understanding and being able to walk in God's calling. Like if you look at Paul's life, he spent more time in jail than he did outside of it. That man was stoned to the point where he almost died. Stoned to the point that when he walked to his next missionary location, they thought they were seeing a ghost. Wow. Because they thought he was dead because of how badly he was stoned, tortured, beaten, all for the upward call of Christ. And luckily for us as Christians today, we think we have it hard, but we don't. Right. Hmm. We weren't. Look at the early church fathers, Ignatius, right? All the different people who paved the way for Christians to be who we are today. They were called into martyrdom, right? Skinned alive. There was one who was literally, they took him and they took a piece of iron red hot iron and burned the entire outside of his body to the point where you couldn't even recognize that he was a human being. Wow. Right. And they asked him, do you denounce Christ? No, I'm not denouncing Christ. Mm -hmm. And it, it got to the point where that, you know, we'll do it again. But miraculously, as they were doing it to him again, he was healing. Right. God was healing him because he took a stance for Christ. There was another lady. I'm not going to get into it, but let's just say, the Roman guard who, when he was asked about what they put her through, his response was, there is nothing that we haven't done. And she still refused to denounce Christ. And then she was feed, fed to, a, to a, a rabid animals, right? We as Christians aren't called to that yeah, today. No. We suffer in comfort. We suffer, thank, we suffer in comfort and we think that we're really suffering, but we're not. Right. When you really look at the grand scheme of things and then you look at what Paul says about suffering rejoice in your suffering because you were suffering in the way that Christ suffered rejoice because suffering is what produces endurance endurance builds character from character. You, you you receive hope rejoice right. in your suffering because that is how you strengthen your faith. Right. I hear all the time. People say, well, God will never, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Where does it say that in the Bible? Where is any scripture that God says that? In fact, it says the opposite. When Paul and Silas were in Asia, Paul, it's in 2 Corinthians, look it up. Paul literally says, we found ourselves facing things that we ourselves could not overcome because we were forced to rely on the power of Christ. If Christ never gave me anything more than I can handle, then why would I need him? It makes no sense. He says, I'll never tempt you without giving you a way out. 
But nowhere in the Bible does it say, I'll never give you more than you can handle. It says, go look at all the times these people through the Bible. Look at Job. You want to tell me he wasn't given anything more than he can handle? That's a big um, phrase that a lot of Christians use. A lot of use. Christians use because it's, it's like utilized. When you're going through a oh, yeah, hard time. Like, I think that's like an easy. It's an easy way. It's out. a comfort. <clears throat> there you go. It's a comfort phrase to keep you comfortable. But Christ doesn't call us into comfort. If you look at the majority of people in the Bible, they were called to a life of suffering. But the life that we had, like you said, we suffer in comfort these days. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that people don't suffer, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I, I, I get it. Like, don't, don't, don't take it the wrong way. When I, when I agree with you in saying we suffer in comfort, I'm comparing it to what the early church fathers with, right. what the early Christians went through, literally persecuted for believing in Christ. And you're seeing it here today. They would say, even if... Even if, even if you Rashak, Meshach, him. and Abednego, mm. right, throw them in a fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar looked at him and said, "Where is your God now?" And they looked at this man and said, "Our God is willing and and He is powerful enough to save us. But even if He doesn't, we still will not bow to your idols. Mm -hmm. Like this world needs more even if Christians. This world needs more Christians who are willing to take a stance for what they believe in." Because if you look at society, the Christian religion is being attacked. Definitely. The first thing they did when COVID hit was what? Shut down the churches. Tell us we could not worship. That's, the, that's one of the first things they did. That was strategic. Because right. as the Christians, we're the ones who are going to rise up. We're the right. ones who are going to unite. Christ calls us into love. Love others. The first greatest commandment is love your God above all else. The second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. We are called to love others. That's what we unite in as a country is love for others, right? So, of course, they're going to attack us first because we're the ones who will stand up. When you look at the uh, look at the revolutionists, what's the first thing they put in the Constitution? All about God. What's on our currency and God we trust? Right. There's scripture. They based the Constitution off of scripture, right? right? So you're not going to tell me that we weren't a foundation built upon God. You're not going to tell me that. Right. It's false. We have since gone away from that. Look at schools. Take away prayer, take away, they're taking away the Pledge of Allegiance now, right? If you take away God, if you remove God, you yeah. can't be surprised when evil replaces it. Our Sunday service was about, about the book of Daniel and how they, you know, threw them mm -hmm. in the fire pit. But he said that the, the enemy is trying to do a lot of things. So it stops you from worshiping. Uh, he's trying to take your identity you yep. know your name the way they did to to the way they did they're yep. trying to take your um what is it your identity your way of worship your thoughts you know trying to change your language yep. so th words don't mean the same thing so and by changing your language they can change the way you it's think it's genocide it's the exact same thing that we did to the indians if you really look at what we did to the native americans we changed their religion we changed the way they dressed we changed the way they spoke we changed the way they thought Right. We, we, they're doing the same thing to us, to, mm -hmm. to, to people who follow Christ, the same thing they did in the Bible. That's not a new tactic. It's been right. utilized for generations. Look at Hitler. You think Hitler just rose to the top and took over in, 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 you know, in a day, the first thing he did, the first, in order to take over a nation, you must first disarm the citizens and then you attack the doctrine and then you attack the language and then you attack. That's what he did. Throw away all the books, burn all the books, take away the doctrine, burn the Bibles, burn the books, burn knowledge, take that away. Now take away their, their, their ability to defend themselves, right? Once that was done, then what did he do? He implemented the Nazi regime. He started to change the way they think. Right. He changed the way they thought. He took away their identity. Mm -hmm. 
That's right? You are no to. longer Jews anymore. We're going to put a star on you to separate you from who we think is society elite. Mm. They take everything away, and they're doing it now. It's not a new tactic. Right. It's been utilized since the since the biblical days. Yeah, and they're doing that now in China too. With oh, the, China does it every yeah, day. With the hmm. uh, with the uh, Western. Mm -hmm. is it, what is it? It's Shanghai? No, it's not Shanghai. It's the, they uh, do it in Iraq too. The the the, the um, reeducation camp. Reeducation. That's what it's called. They literally change the way you think from when the moment that you were born to the moment you are now. They indoctrinate you. That's why the Muslims believe what they do because they're taught it from a child. They don't know anything else. They don't know anything different. All they know is what they're taught. Same thing with China. All they know is what they're taught. That's why here in America they're going to attack that first. Don't be surprised when we start being regulated on what books we can read. Right. Start regulating what car they've already regulated what cars we can drive, right? Look, look at the big push that the government's pushing now, right? They want they're attacking their weapon, they're attacking the Second Amendment, and, not even and they're not going to the internet. The, oh yeah, like <laughs> what's being controlled. what's being controlled? The media. Look at the media. How much is being canceled? When Operation Mockingbird. It's a literal CIA mission where they decide let's push as much fake information out until people believe that it is the truth and see what happens. They're doing it now. So what would it be the um, the counter? I guess you could say, like um, like what what would help? I guess or what would what has helped in in, in history to what helped in that? history? If you look throughout history, whenever big was overtaken little, was the first thing that they had. They had to unite. They had to come together on a united front. Mm -hmm. Divided we stand, or united we stand. Divided we fall. Until the American people unite. We're not going to be able to defend ourselves, right? After you unite, then you have to come to a common understanding, a common ground, a common beliefs core system, right? That's why it's important for the Christians to take a stand. They have to stand for Christ. They have to take a stand for what they believe in and come together in a united front and let the oppressors know we're not going to stand for this. Because right. up until now, we have been. We did. We failed the COVID test miserably as a nation. And you're seeing the ramifications with the government, what they're implementing now. Like, and if you think that California banning gas-powered vehicles is a small thing, you're not paying attention. Because right now it's just California. The fact that a government entity thinks they have the power to even do that and no one's doing anything about it, we failed. Right. So it's not. It's going to take us uniting first and foremost. And if you remove Christ, you, you allow... For the implementation of evil, right? Because that's one of the things you learn at Camp Hope, right? Why do bad things happen? Well, one, God is a God of free will. He's going to let us choose who we are and what we believe in, right? But what comes from that are people who choose to not accept Christ, right? What is cold? Cold doesn't exist. It's the absence of heat. Correct. What is darkness? Darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Well, what is evil? It is the absence of God. So when you have somebody who chooses to not believe in Christ, they now have an empty vessel. What's going to get filled in that vessel? Evil, because now evil is rooted. Now evil doesn't have to worry about God being There's inside no here. There's no resistance. Evil people do evil things. Right. right. When Adam and Eve sinned for the first time and they chose to eat the apple, they screwed it up for all of us. Right. We are now born into a sinful nature. Well, just like God's not going to force me to believe in him, he's not going to force somebody else to believe in him either. Right. And sin opens up a whole right. 
And then the it, sin, cycle sin creates of like evil. a huge wall between you and Christ. And yep. people don't see People that. don't see it that way. They're like, why doesn't God listen to me? Why doesn't he listen to my prayers? Or why doesn't, you know, there's he can't and see you. And that's know? when the sense of entitlement comes. Like, why do you think that your problem is God's priority? Mm. Like, you think that what you're dealing with is the biggest issue he's dealing with right now? Like, why are you so entitled to that? Why are you even abstaining from sin? And this progressive Christianity that's being pushed through our nation, so like much. due from like the Joel Osteens and the Stephen Furtick's, right? right? But Stephen Furtick is he's 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 that dude's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and he's a lot better at hiding it than Joel Osteen is. But this progressive, this whole prosperity gospel nonsense, right? Like you got to think, why do we abstain from sin? Is it because it's your duty as a Christian? No. It's because, well, you're failing to receive the blessings from Christ. That happens. It's a symptom of it. Mm. But why are you really abstaining from sin? We abstain from sin because we know in our hearts that it puts a distance between me and God. Correct. That is why I abstain from sin. Not because it's what I'm supposed to do or because the Bible tells me to or because it's my duty as a Christian. I do it because I love Christ so much that I don't want to be apart from him. And I know that when I do sin, that detriments my relationship with right. him. Rather or not, I'm prosperous or not. Right. Rather or not, I'm living in a mansion and underneath the bridge. Right. I want to be so rooted in my faith and my relationship with God that nothing distracts me from his calling. Right. And when we sin, that's what happens. Mm. Right? I hear all the time. Well, you know, I'm just I'm just uh, haven't heard from God in a long time. Well, when's the last time you opened your Bible? Right. Right. Because he's the, that's the living, breathing word of God. Not a single the Bible tells not a single word in the Bible was written by man. Man wrote it, but he was inspired by Christ. Every single word was inspired by and God. That, and there's the process like uh, repent, read the Bible, worship, prayer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think they like, confuse worship with worshiping at church. Like worship is your lifestyle. Right, you worship right. God by how you live. You show your love for him by the lifestyle that you choose. Right. And I, like, are, are, are you feeling apart from God? Well, if you are, guess who moved? You do. God ain't gone nowhere. Right. He's been with you since he tells you that I've been you. I knew you before I even put you in your mother's womb. Oof. Right. So why would I trade that for the opinion of the world? And a lot of Christians do that. They're so worried about what society says and what their friends say and what the world says about them. Like, why would you trade? Because the Bible tells me that I'm redeemed, that I'm forgiven, that I'm restored, that I'm loved. God calls me his child. Right. So why would I trade that? The identity, right? We're talking about that earlier. The identity, the opinion of the man who knew me before I was even in my mother's womb. Why would I trade that for what the world says? Correct. Why would I trade that for what society tells me that I should be? Right? And we're so wrapped up in that. Look at social media, man. People are so wrapped up into what the world tells them they should be. We're literally allowing children, children to choose their diet. You're telling me you won't even let little Essay, you won't let little Johnny choose his bedtime. You won't let him choose what to eat for dinner. You won't let him choose what he wears to school. Why? Because you know what's best for him, but you're going to let him choose to cut his wee-wee off? Are you serious right now? Right. Like, I'm not buying that. That's something that you're forcing on your child, right? Because you're not going to tell, like, it, 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 it's insane. They're, they are now, they now have a term for pedophiles. You know what it is? Gender, or, or um, what's it called? Uh, they call it, um, isn't it like a mental health thing? It's, it, it's a that, mental but it's but what they're, they're calling it yeah, to desensitize right. you to it. It's I, I uh, saw it like a week ago. It's like mi minor attracted. There you go. Yeah, something like that. They're yeah. calling them, oh, no, but they're not pedophiles. They're, they're minor attracted. And they're calling it, what they're saying is that we should accept it as a sexuality. 
They're saying that they're trying to push this narrative that being attracted to their child is no different than being a homosexual or bisexual or asexual. It's the same thing they said. It's the same thing that should be accepted. Have you lost your ever-loving mind? And I think uh, homosexuals and lesbians and, you know, they get the worst part of it because they're being associated with these people that have nothing to do with their sexual preference. But And Christians are the worst at that. Right. Christians are the worst at judging somebody else because they sin differently than them. Right. And when you look at the Bible, I ask myself, show me the sin scale. Show me where God says one sin's different than the other. Right. Because me as someone who has laid with somebody who is not my wife, in the eyes of God, is the same as somebody who just murdered somebody. Right. Me, who just told a little white lie, a little fib, is the same as somebody who's raped a child. Like, think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, really what? wrap your mind around that. Sin is sin in Correct. the eyes of God. But the Bible also says that when you were forgiven and you were saved, that he no longer remembers your sin. Scripture. Yep. Right? So why are you judging this person for simply sinning differently than you? And people love to quote Hebrews about homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But y'all fail to forget about the rest of that scripture because it also says liars, fornicators, thieves. And then you read the rest of it. It says, but I have restored and redeemed you. Right. So you can't sit here and judge whether you agree with the lifestyle or not, whether you agree with the sin or not. It's irrelevant. Right. If Christ died for my sin, then he died for your sin. He died for his sin. He died for everybody's sin, regardless of what that sin is. Now, if you are still living an active, sinful lifestyle, that's between you and Christ. That ain't for me to say. But that doesn't mean that the redemption and the salvation that comes from what Christ did on the cross that day doesn't apply to everybody with sin in their life as long as they accept it right as long as they accept christ believe in christ and come to know christ that's all that matters now your lifestyle afterwards matters because the bible does says you will be judged right on a day of on the day of judgment you will come before me and answer for all the sins or all the things that you have done you're going to be welcomed into heaven right you're saved you're coming to heaven but you're going to be rewarded for the things that you did for me correct so your lifestyle definitely matters right well but when well, it comes to sin, this this is a topic we could definitely, definitely uh, all go day. for days all and day. days and days. Um, one last thing, uh, anything you want to share uh, for PTSD Foundation of America, phone number or contact? Yeah, or, so uh, the one thing I want to share is if you are a combat veteran and you are in crisis or you know of a combat veteran who is in crisis, I want you to take this number down, right? Because this number is our crisis line. It's manned 24-7 seven days a week, 24 hours, by a combat veteran, right? And their job is to man this phone and talk you through your crisis or find who's in crisis and make it happen and get us to them. So that number is 877-717-PTSD, 7873. 877-717, I think it's 7873-PTSD. So that is, yeah, 7873-7873. Right. And that's our crisis line. If you're in the Houston area and you are interested in coming into Camp Hope or if you know of a combat vet who needs Camp Hope, reach out to me. Our office is located. Our outreach chapter is located in Tomball. Um, You can call me three, four, six, three, three, one, nine, one, four, one. That's my cell phone number. Call me anytime, day or night. I always answer my phone. Perfect. Right. If you're a combat vet and you just know you're not alone and you don't have to fight this battle alone, we got your back. There you go. There you go. Thanks, Zach, so much for joining oh, us today. It was a pleasure. Thank we definitely so got to bring you back and continue to carry some Anytime. of these conversations. I love it. Very, very grateful to be here. Once again, guys, thanks everybody that tuned in today. 
I would definitely make sure I get all these videos uploaded and, and get them to Spotify and all that. And we appreciate the support. Thanks, guys. Peace.